You know, I was thinking this week, and um, I can't ever remember really being scared. I mean, I was thinking about that, uh, like, like really scared. Now, I need to get you to understand something. I scare easily. So I remember, I, th- I started thinking back when I was younger, back in high school, I remember going to like Six Flags Magic Mountain with my friends, and I remember standing in line for the newest, latest, greatest roller coaster. And I remember all my friends being like, this is so awesome, and inside, I was sick to my stomach, going, what am I doing? I also remember specifically in high school, Almost every time a new movie would come out, and it happened to come out on Friday the 13th, we would be in that theater on Friday the 13th. And I'd have all these guys and girls, all these friends from school around me, and I remember thinking, how am I going to close my eyes without them seeing it? How am I going to plug my ears so I don't have to hear this? I hated it. It was not, I get scared so easy. Last week, Scott talked about rock climbing, right? You hear last week, on belay and belay on that idea. Well, I've actually done that. Yes, I have been to Joshua Tree. And I remember saying, on belay. And I remember the guy saying, belay on. And then I remember the misery that began. The terror of being at heights, not wanting to fall, feeling weak. I hated every moment of it. And I remember getting back to the ground and my legs shaking and me swearing that I will never do that again and I have never done it again. That was probably 20 years ago. Never done that again. I get scared easily. I am not a risk taker in any way, shape or form. I still to this day, Sometimes I want to watch a scary movie. If I'm going to watch a scary movie at home, I'd much rather watch it on my laptop. So I can hit the mute button or I can close the lid. And I do that. I know there's going to be that moment that I want to hit the mute button when the music begins to do that thing. You know that thing the music begins to do, right? That starts making you realize something bad's going to happen. I hate that music. And I literally, when I'm watching, I will sit there and I'll mute it. And then I'll watch the scary part go by. And then I'll rewind it and watch it with me. Music really makes a difference. It's not even scary if the music's not going on. And you can ask my boys this. They will know in the other room when I'm watching a scary movie because they'll say, Daddy, you watch a scary movie? I'm like, what? What do you mean? I heard you hit mute. And it happens. It doesn't even have to be a real scary movie. It is just the way it is for me. So over this last week, I've been trying to think about this reality of being scared because every one of those scenarios I just told you, it's not really being scared, right? It doesn't count. I put myself in this situation to get my heart racing for entertainment. That doesn't count as really being scared. And I was trying to think. As I've been looking at the book of Philippians, I've been trying to put my shoe, my feet in, into the shoes of those at the church of Philippi. I mean, over the last month, last week, we've watched people really scared. And I was trying to sit down and put myself in those shoes of these people in Philippi that Paul was writing to as they're huddling in a house and they've had loved ones taken from them and they have a constant fear of imprisonment or torture or death. I I was trying to put myself in the shoes of Paul, who's writing this letter while he's sitting in a prison cell, while he's chained up, 
He's been beat multiple different times. And he knows that there's a possibility that his life could be over at any day. And in the middle of that, he's pinning this book to this church. And it's known to be a book of encouragement. A book of encouragement, a book that calls us to rejoice. Hasn't been easy for me. Hasn't been easy for me to put myself in those shoes. To realize that in the middle of all this chaos that they're going through, that Paul is telling them, you got this. Don't give up. Keep moving. Keep advancing the cause of Christ on belay. So that they would hear the term, the verse, the, the term belay on. Keep going on. Keep going because God's got this. It's a very powerful book. And in this chapter, we see kind of the, the, him really, uh, you know, talk about this in Philippians chapter 2. When he looks at them in the middle of chapter 2, and he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. So we see right in that passage a powerful message from this guy sitting in a prison cell, writing to those that are sitting in the middle of potential persecution where they are full of fear and they are trembling underneath this, this reality. And he encourages them to continue to live out their salvation even though they're fearful and they're trembling. Continue to live it out. Why? Because it is God that is at work in them. He is at work according to his ultimate purpose. And what I love about this chapter is it's the chapter where he sets Christ as an example. Paul sets himself as an example. And he gives him a vision of how that good purpose could ultimately work out that I think we need to hear, that we need to consider. So first, the example of Christ. So in the middle of his encouragement in Philippians 2, he says, your attitude should be the same as that as Christ. Well, what was Christ's attitude? Well, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And he took on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. What an example Jesus came to set. His kingdom established in a way that is very different than any kingdom ever established that I can think of. Complete opposite way to, to establish a kingdom. And then he, you know, so Paul sets this example of Christ, and then he writes to these people who are suffering under the same powerful empire, the religious empire and the political empire, that Jesus stood against and suffered under, they're standing, standing against and suffering under. And he reminds them that even though Christ in his very nature was God in the flesh, he humbled himself. He gave himself over to the political and religious powers to suffer at their hands. 
to be tortured and beaten and ultimately hang, nailed to a cross as a common criminal. That's the example that he gave himself to that. And what I want us to consider in the midst of that suffering of Christ, in the midst of him hanging on that cross, looking at those standing around mocking him, those that are focused on power, greed, and violence, Jesus says possibly one of the most amazing things ever said in history. It's in Luke chapter 23. It says, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals. He's being crucified with a, as a common criminal, and there's one on his right, there's one on his left, and there's these men mocking him, these religious and political people. They're spitting on him, and they're making fun of him, and they're, they're telling him, if you're the king, come on down, seriously, and they're, and they're just mocking him. In his death, hanging there in that moment, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? How many of you would say that? How many of you say that if you were God in the flesh? I would be saying like, oh, I'm done with this. This is an amazing display of the depth of God's ability to forgive. This is an amazing moment when when Jesus says, you see me, you see the Father, that I think you are seeing God. And I believe Jesus was doing much more than just forgiving those killing him. Matter of fact, I think that Jesus was establishing God's kingdom here on this earth through humility, not power. Through serving, not being served. Through mercy, not judgment. And through love, not violence. He was establishing his kingdom. That's why I said he's establishing a kingdom in a total different way than any other kingdom I can think of. Because most kingdoms are established by power, causing others to serve, judgment, and violence. Jesus was establishing something different. Paul was reminding them that this is where they are. This is why they are finding this contentment, this hope in Christ. This is why they're in the place they're in because they have found something in this life of Christ that they are now sitting in. He's reminding them that this is the message that brought encouragement and comfort, tenderness and compassion to them. And so he tells them in Philippians chapter two, verse three, then do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do not, uh, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. And then he goes into the verse we just talked about. What a challenging message that must have been for them. Is that message challenging for anyone else in here? And I'm not even sitting in a prison cell. I'm not even sitting in a house fearful of my life. And I struggle with this. Considering the suffering they were facing, considering what was before them. But Paul was reminding them of something important. 
And I think he wants to remind us of the same thing. And it's the idea that God's kingdom advances when his people live out what he put on display. God's kingdom advances when his people live out what he put on display. Not living out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Considering others as better than yourself. That's a tough one to do in our society. And not looking out for your own interests, but to the interest of others. Paul is teaching the attitude of Christ. How he establishes kingdom. And you know the crazy part? God is placed, moving his kingdom forward, advancing the cause of Christ in our hands. He's placed it in, in our hands, his church. We are the plan. Not as much as an organization, but as a living, breathing, active organism that each and every one of us make up. So Christ has established that kingdom through his life, death, and resurrection. And now Paul is teaching, we got this now, right? You got this. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward the kingdom in the same way that Jesus established it. Thinking of others. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Considering their interest, not your interest. So challenging. But so important for us to understand. You see, it's, it's in this Philippians 2, this kind of idea that we're looking at, that it began a transformation in my thoughts of how I saw stuff. It moved me away from this idea of these religious hurdles that I need to jump through. These lists of do's and don'ts. That if I do these things, God will come through. If I don't do them, he's ticked. It kind of moved me away from just this religious way of looking at my life. And it brought me to something new. It brought me to something way more powerful. And this is what it started showing me, is that my life matters. That my life matters for the kingdom of God to keep reaching people and changing the world. And that was life-changing for me. That my life matters. That your life matters. So when he's calling us to have the same attitude of Christ, it's not some religious hoop to jump through. It's saying like, hey, he established his kingdom and he's gonna keep moving his kingdom and he's moving it through you. So live the way he lived and watch as his kingdom furthers. Watch as his cause keeps moving. And I realize that this might seem like too big of a call for us. Maybe you're in here going like, oh gosh, are you kidding me? This world is too chaotic for that. Have you seen what's going on around? Do you realize what's going on in this world? Maybe you look at around, you think it's too big. The world is too lost. And you think, I can't make a difference. Well, if you think that way, I'm here to tell you right now, you are wrong. You are wrong. You can make a difference. Because you can make a difference in the next person that you interact with. It might be the person sitting next to you. It might be your kids when you get home. It might be the server at the restaurant you go to. It might be the line because you have to go shopping after this. It might be at work tomorrow. It might be at school tomorrow. It might be on your sports team. I don't care if you're five years old in here or you're 90 years old in here. Your life makes a difference in the people's lives around you. It does. 
And it always, always, always starts there. It always does. I would challenge that the greatest revolutions of all time started with one person impacting one person. Then they became two people. And then it went from there. Everyone. You got this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. That's what he's encouraging them to do. Even in their fear and trembling, he's encouraging them to do that. You know what's cool about this chapter too, and I mentioned it earlier, is that this chapter also points out to this ultimate good. He talked about God's working in you to achieve that ultimate good. The purpose that God is working towards. And I think it's important for us to consider that. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Right after he talks about Jesus giving himself at the point of death on the cross, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. It covers a lot of territory there. And that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's ultimate hope and purpose is that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a powerful, eye-opening, ultimate vision of hope that Paul wants to give these people. And Paul does that throughout his letters. Throughout his letters, he wants us to have a bigger picture of things. Let's take a look at some of them. Ephesians chapter 1. Look what he says to the church in Ephesus. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. And what is that? To bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. Sounds like a pretty big plan. Sounds like a big picture, a big vision. What about in Colossians chapter 1? For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He wanted those in the Colossian church to have a big picture. Or what about the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Next slide. I'm stuck. (laughs) That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Check that out. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What a beautiful vision that he is giving. This seems so contrary to the this world is going to hell in a handbasket kind of attitude that I grew up with in church. God, come back and blow these people up. Hurry up. That idea, that hell in a handbasket idea that this world is going to seems so different than what Paul is teaching in his letters. To have this vision, to have this vision that no one is out of the reach of God's hand. You see, Paul points towards victory, total victory, hope, and life through Christ. That's what he points to. 
That's how he wants us to see things. That's what he wants us to be the encourage, uh, encourage us towards. It's so important because I see him focusing on, you know, victory instead of defeat. I see him focusing on light instead of darkness. Focusing on restoration and redemption instead of brokenness. And having that vision because how we see things will affect the way we live. And how valuable we see our lives being in each and every day with each and every person. And this seems to make so much sense, giving this picture Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Man, I know you're scared. I know you're trembling. Keep working it out, but it's God working in you to do according to his ultimate plan and ultimate purpose. And then check out what he says after that. In Philippians chapter two, he says, um, so after he says, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Look what he says. So do everything without complaining and arguing. Stop it. Stop the griping. Stop the complaining. Stop the pointing fingers at everything. Stop it. If anyone should have the vision of hope and life, it should be us. This is what he's writing to these people in the Philippian church. Are you kidding me? I'd be in there griping with them. Man, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Now, pay attention to this because he says, in which you shine like stars. He's not saying don't complain and argue so that you don't make me mad and do everything happy so you make me happy. He's saying your life matters. And if you want to shine like the stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, then you need to stop griping and complaining because the church oftentimes seems like it's holding out the word of death. You're all dying. We got this attitude about that. And he's saying he wants us to hold out the word of life. If there's anyone that should have hope and positive attitudes and not complaining or arguing about everything are those who have trusted in Christ and in his message of victory and redemption and how he established it and how he calls us to continue to live it. Seems like what Paul is encouraging those he was writing to in the midst of deep suffering because of their faith, he was telling them, you got this. Because God's got this. He has a plan and you're part of it. Keep moving forward. Think of others above yourselves. Don't argue and complain. Keep moving forward. I put it like this. God will ultimately work out his good purpose and plan to restore, redeem, and bring life. So don't complain and argue, but have hope and rejoice. That's what he's calling us to. That's what he's calling us to. That's how we're going to shine. This is challenging for me. <laughs> it's challenging for me in my life. It's just so much easier to complain, isn't it? Isn't it just so much easier? It's just so easy. And argue. I don't find myself complaining as much. I struggle with the arguing thing a little bit more. I'd say that's where I struggle. Got to work on that. I justify myself that I'm arguing with Christians for having such negative attitudes, right? But maybe that's still not good. But it doesn't make us shine. I, th I think the church has accomplished enough complaining for its lifetime. Do you think? I think we've accomplished enough. 
I think maybe the way of Jesus should be the way that we grab hold of. I think it might just make a difference as we put on display the life of Christ and the hope we believe is in him and through him. And I love how Paul's the first to set the example. Look as he goes on. He says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, he says, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. To be honest, it is so far beyond my ability to even grasp how heavy what he just said was. I cannot, I tried. I tried to grasp what he's saying. Even if my life is poured out like a sacrifice. Basically he's saying, if I never get out of this prison, I end up beaten and tortured and crucified. If my life is poured out as Christ's life was poured out, I am glad and rejoice and I want you to join me. What? And seeing hope in the midst of darkness and brokenness is so powerful. And that's what Paul's doing. And that's what he's teaching us to do. I can honestly tell you, I have no idea how all of this is going to work out. I have no idea. If, you, if people tell you they know how it's going to work out, be suspect. I have no idea. And I have no idea how God is going to finally restore all things in heaven and earth, like Paul encourages us to think. I don't know. But I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in my marriage. I've seen it in my home. I've seen it in many, many lives here at this church and around the world. Have you seen it too? Have you seen how living the way of Jesus can transform others and myself? How valuing what Jesus valued can make a difference? How thinking of other people's interest above your own can actually make a difference? How thinking of them as better than yourself actually can make a difference? I've seen it. I've seen Jesus' way of humility over power and serving over being served and mercy over judgment and love over violence bring salvation and restoration to lives, marriages, relationships, families, communities. A buddy of mine spent 20 years in Papua New Guinea and the tribe that he went into in the late, late 70s. He was there from the 70s to the 90s. He's there for 20 years. Was a violent, ugly people. What they did to each other was heinous when he moved into that tribe. And one of the things that they did is almost every girl by the time they were seven or eight years old was taken advantage of from the most, the, a lot of the men in that tribe. It's just the way it was. He struggled even liking these people when he got in there. He ultimately got to share the gospel and a church was planted in that tribe. It's a small church couple hundred people and thousands of people in the bigger tribe he says now that the mistreatment of young girls is unheard of in that culture that's salvation that's redemption a whole culture transformed he says now dads i've seen videos dads running with their kids on their shoulders that was never like that holding hands with their wives and treating them with tenderness never like that women were nothing but property in the gospel, Jesus' love and mercy transformed that community. 
Over the past 20 years, I've seen this story of hope and redemption lived out and experienced over and over and over again. You got this because God's got it. Christ set the example that we should have the same attitude. Look to others. Consider others. Don't look at your own interests. Consider their interests. Don't complain and argue and let your light shine. Work out your salvation and have hope in God's ultimate promise of victory and triumph. I want to close with a verse, and, and I wasn't going to close with a verse. I felt I did enough verses, but this morning, this verse just kept going. I like this verse, so I want to share it with you. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. I think it summarizes what Paul was talking about, the Philippian churches he wrote to the church in Ephesus. He said, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, among with every other form of malice. Stop griping and complaining and thinking of yourself, Right? And be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. On belay. And think of that voice of God as he says, belay on. I got a plan. Your life matters. Start climbing. Start climbing. As we are thousands of friends advancing the cause of Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your example, Lord Jesus, of humility, sacrifice, Love over hatred. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Humility over power. That is your way. That's how you established your kingdom and that's what you call us to. And God, I know the church hasn't been good. We want to exert power. We want to judge. We want to be violent at times. But I pray that we would take heed to what you are calling us here through Paul and to this church that we would consider others better than ourselves, that we would think of others' interests, not just our own, that we would not gripe and complain and argue, but that we would really see that our lives matter in the way that we love and care and give, and that we might be lights that shine in this crooked and depraved generation. A culture and a generation that you love, people that you love, people that you gave your life for and don't hold their sins against them, people that you want to redeem, And you want our lives to show how beautiful that is. May that become a vision in our hearts. May we live for your glory. And may your kingdom come and your will be done here on this earth as it's being done in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.